0: Good evening, everyone. Um, Let's begin by just sitting. Well, hmm, I wanna read a little something that's um, meant to kind of frame the sitting that we're gonna do. it's the 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 practice itself will be just a basic awareness practice. Um, we'll begin maybe with a little bit of you know dual awareness practice, um, mm-hmm. tending to sounds and um, and breath and um, But then I think move into just the kind of um, open awareness that we uh, tried out last time that we've done before, where um, you're keeping a very light touch on the anchors, just enough to, to stay present, but letting the awareness um, just take in whatever there is to experience in that given moment, um, thoughts, emotions, sensations, environmental input, Whatever it may be, and just to sit, just to be there. Um, so, I think the biggest f- frame that I have for tonight is I'd like to say a little bit more in response to the question that Sylvia asked last time um, about the vulnerability that we can feel when we begin to open through this practice. Um, I'll, I'll I'll recount her question and my initial response more specifically in more detail a little bit later, but just you know, just what she asked is something that I think anyone who's been practicing for a while could relate to and ask, which is yes, when we are identified with our thoughts, when our thoughts are caught up in me and me stuff, there's a constriction that happens. And indeed there's an opening, a softening or a greater spaciousness that can happen when you can see that a thought is just a thought, when you no longer identify with it so much. But at the same time, there is an increased sense of vulnerability that comes with that opening. And her question, was how do you how do you move through that? How do you be with that that vulnerability? It's it's scary, it's hard. It feels raw. Um, so that was a wonderful question. And um, I'm I'm so, was so grateful for it. Um, and I said some words that came right to mind last week in response. And even as I was saying them, I knew that there were different ways of approaching Sylvia's question. And I think I'd like to revisit it and emphasize slightly different things in another path through that same question this week. Um, I also wanna say that um, questions like the one Sylvia asked are invaluable because I think they give me a sense of where people are. Um, and and I think that, um, I just, so I just, you know I think, a lot of times people just feel very settled and quiet, don't really feel like they have anything particular they want to ask about, and that's fine, I'm not. But if you have questions that are genuine, but that you feel a little bit, for some reason hesitant about asking, I just urge you to, do what you can to overcome the hesitation and ask anyway. Um, because if you have that question, if it's a genuine authentic question for you, it's very likely one for someone else as well. Um, I've been sitting for you know a while and it's not always easy for me to remember um, or to sense where people who haven't been sitting for as long may be. Um, and what kinds of issues, difficulties, um, can crop up on the path? It's very easy for me to remember when someone prompts me to, but it's not—it's not easy for me to know what is the the thing that is really on people's minds um, right now. I know we're all in different places, so I'm not trying to say there's one place where people and, people, and there are people on this call who've been sitting longer than I have. Um, so it's but it's just that we're in different places. Let me put it that way. And um, it's not like there's a curriculum, you know, not like some set thing, group of like topics that I I know to move through in a particular order. Um, I think actually this process works best when it's a kind of um, a process of response. You responding to your moment, speaking from that place and me responding. As best i can um, and i think i learn from you that way you learn um, from your own experience hopefully in a different way and we all learn from each other in different ways and i think um just just thinking about how rich um the, the sort of the vein of practice is that sylvia opened up with her just heartfelt simple question it just makes me want to say this that um for the sake of us all please um, don't hold back. If you have anything you'd like to talk about, hear about, ask about, um, you never know where it might go. And um, yeah, okay. So, um, so, this is a text, a short text, um, another text that comes from the, the service booklet at Zen Center San Diego. Um, and this is a short piece written by Ezra. I don't know if he wrote it for the service book or um, it's excerpted from somewhere else, but it's just called Letting Be. And, um, and it just talks about the deep importance of the practice or the attitude of letting be in Zen practice. In many ways, you could just use that phrase, let be, um, as a way of describing just all of what practice is. Um, It's not about getting somewhere. It's not about achieving something. It's not about becoming someone else or different or other than we are. It's just learning to be with our lives as they are. not because we don't, I mean, and this is not passive acceptance of how things are. It's not resignation to how things are. It's just letting be this moment as it is. And out of that, the most profound kinds of transformations will naturally happen, but of their own. Um, not requiring us to do anything. So this practice isn't about changing anything. It's just about being aware. And out of that awareness, out of that letting be, deep, unimaginably deep change can happen. But it's not us making that change happen. Um, and I think the deeper you go into practice, the more what I've just said will sound like obvious, you will know, just like, yeah, of course. Um, but it takes a while to get there. And even along the way, we forget. Um, we can sit even after decades of meditation practice and sit down and suddenly realize a few minutes into sitting after we're feeling tense and frustrated and like we're trying and that, that we're actually like trying to make some experience happen. And then we remember, oh yeah. It's not about that, Um, but especially in the early days, it's hard to get this. And so um, there is no one who has practiced so long that they don't need to hear this um, again and again. And that very much includes me. So let me read this as as a sort of background to the sitting we're gonna engage in. So letting be, when we begin sitting, it is always good to start with the practice question. What is going on right now? Becoming aware of our state of mind, the state of our body, as well as sensory input from the environment. As a basic theme for our sitting, no matter what we bring in the door, no matter how we may be feeling, either physically or emotionally, to simply sit here, and let it be. To remember that no matter what may be happening with us, that it doesn't have to be seen as an obstacle or an enemy, as something to fix or change or get rid of. In fact, from a practice point of view, whatever it is, it's our path. So the theme is to simply let it be. This is not a passive or pseudo detachment. We still need the discipline to stay present, to remain still, and especially to choose in each moment not to spin off and to be precise in our self observation. But I'm talking about an attitude of mind that's just willing to look, to really just ask, what is this to whatever arises? to simply want to know, to be with, to reside in the truth of the moment. When we sit, struggling is always optional. Suffering also, in a way, is optional. That is, we don't have to suffer our suffering. We can just observe it, experience it, then let it be. I'm not talking about calling it illusion and pretending to let it go. That wouldn't be real. I'm talking about a certain lightness of heart that is possible to bring to our sitting, a certain sense of spaciousness, a willingness to cease all of our hard-hearted judgments about ourselves, basically ceasing resistance to what is. And over time, a willingness to be with and perhaps even enjoy on some level our repeating patterns, our little human drama, the whole passing show. Sometimes we may have anxiety. The practice is to feel it, hear the thoughts and just let it be there. Sometimes we may be tired or sleepy. The practice is to really feel that and then to let it just be there. Sometimes we may feel resistance or feel discouraged in our sitting. The practice here is what, again, is to truly feel, experience that resistance or discouragement, and then to simply let it be there. Whatever self beliefs arise, such as, I'm just too tired, or this is too painful, or I can't do this, or I'll never be good at this, if we can just notice them for what they are and then just let them be instead of believing in them as a the truth, we can begin to soften around our judgmental mind and come to see that these negative self-beliefs are not the deepest truths about ourselves. We can then begin to relax into our sitting, essentially relax into our life and perhaps even get a glimpse of the profound yet simple truth that all we really need to learn is the willingness to just be. So, let's please get in a comfy position which to practice for a bit. Feel free to lie down, recline, sit up straight, whatever works best for you and your body. And as Ezra suggested, always a good place to start is just asking, how are things with you right now? How's the mind, heart, body feel? What sounds can you hear in the space around you? How does the air of the room that you are in feel on any parts of your skin that might be bare? Your body is resting on something, cushion, chair, mat, bed, sofa. The places where your body is making contact with something beneath or behind it. Tune into the quality of that contact, the sensations, the feeling of the weight of your body. The pull of gravity on your head, your arms. And we're just watching, we're just observing the passing show, feeling any sensations that might arise associated with the breath. For each of us, it'll be slightly different where the breath feels most noticeable, whether that be the belly, the chest, or the nose, or perhaps even somewhere else for you. No need to track or follow the breath too closely, too tightly, too narrowly. Rather just let your awareness be open and let whatever sensations are associated with the breath just be part of that awareness. If you find yourself spinning off into thought, then maybe you can focus on the breath a bit more firmly for a few breaths. Let's see how light, lightly awareness can hang out with the breath. And likewise, let sounds in the space you're in be part of your awareness. And the practice is so simple, it's just, let's just be with whatever there is to be with in our moment by moment experience. There's a the breath, there are sounds, there may be sensations from various parts of the body, There will be thoughts, emotions. Just notice them. And as long as you're not spinning off, following some storyline of thinking, getting lost in some emotion, there's no problem having thoughts, feeling emotions. Just let that too be part of this open awareness. The mind will definitely spin off from time to time. And as much as possible, try not to see that as a problem. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen a number of times during this one short sitting. Just notice it when you can, and then Open your awareness so that you're once again in touch with the present moment in the form of the breath, sounds, sensations. You should see getting lost in thoughts spinning off as part of the passing show. Sometimes a certain sensation of the body will become pronounced and call to your attention and let your awareness go where the body calls. Explore what those sensations are like. Say, what's going on here? What is this? Not as a way of making sense or analyzing, but just exploring the whatness of those sensations, experience in that part of the body. And after a little while, come back to a wider awareness that once again includes breath and sounds. Sometimes thoughts are so obvious, so loud, hard to miss them. But other times, thoughts are difficult to discern, filmy, more like the atmosphere through which you're looking than anything you can see clearly. See if you can notice any of those filmy kind of thoughts that might be evaluating how this sitting is going, how you're doing. Perhaps feeling just below the level of consciousness, some kind of expectation about how this sitting should progress, how awareness is supposed to feel. Boredom, frustration. These are clear signs that some kind of expectation is feeding this moment. No need to go hunting for thoughts, but just see if you notice such thoughts as part of, the passing show, though a more difficult part of the show to even notice. Some of you may feel bodily sensations that feel emotional in nature, like colored by anxiety or fear or sadness or anger. See if you can notice the kinds of thoughts that are connected to those bodily sensations. Or vice versa, you may hear clearly a certain kind of thought. Can you feel a part of the body or parts of the body that are connected to that thought, whether they be thoughts of expectation or anxiety or whatever. You can hear sounds, all the sounds around you, and feel the sensations of the breath, feel the physical presence of your body. How does your awareness feel? How open does it feel? See how that compares to those moments when you feel caught up in a thought, identifying, some belief, some self judgment. It can be interesting to observe the dilation and the constriction of awareness itself as it congeals around ego beliefs and then softens around them to attend to the moment in its fullness. The point is not to make that open awareness an ideal that you are trying to perpetuate consistently, but rather just to explore the dance, the dance of congealing and softening, opening constriction. So easy to make openness of awareness, just another kind of ideal we chase after, an expectation we have of what a good sitting is supposed to feel like but those are the very kinds of hard to discern thoughts that are worth labeling, just more thoughts. Some of you who are used to having a very firm and fixed anchor, like the breath, may be finding it a little bit disorienting to not be narrowly focused on that one anchor. Just feel what that feels like, to not have something, one thing to latch onto. And for all of you, in those moments when you experience openness, when you just feel like you're just there, there's a the breath, there's sound, there's a body, there may even be thoughts and you're just there with it all. Not clinging to this or that, not picking and choosing so much, but remarkably feeling moments of just being. See if you can discern in that complex of sensations, in that moment, any anxiety or unsettledness that may emerge. It's an interesting thing that can happen sometimes when you feel open. It can be accompanied by or immediately followed by a uh, sense of anxiety, which seems to have no object. It's a very interesting thing to observe, nothing wrong with it. okay let's pause now and talk for a bit and if there's time we can still a bit more a bit more at the end feel free to keep sitting if you like um, just taking a look to see who's here nice to see you all <clears throat> So I guess actually, first I'll ask, are there any questions that emerged in response to that practice, especially in terms of the cues? I can't see everyone by the way, so you'll have to unmute um, and just speak up, feel free to. Well, there'll be occasion to ask questions um, as we go. So please do if something, you realize that there's something you want to ask about or talk about. Um, So let me return to Sylvia's question from last week, um, which was the vulnerability that we can feel when we don't feel so identified with our thoughts. Yes, she said, there is a greater sense of spaciousness but it feels can feel so vulnerable as well. Um, and she and I agreed partly be, this is because um, identification with thoughts is often defensive in nature, produce a kind of um, ego defense structure. Um, and she said, so as that softens and opens, becomes more porous. Um, It's like we can feel like a turtle, right? Or um, we're not so protected by the hard shell and a little bit of our soft innards feel a bit more exposed, you know? And I certainly can relate to this feeling and I'm guessing a number of you can as well. And if you can't yet, you will at some point. Um, But, okay, so there's actually, there are two things that I sort of would like to touch on, one very briefly, and then another more in depth. I think they are ultimately connected, as so many of these things are, but uh, they're distinct enough where, so the kind of answer, one of the answers I gave, she was saying, so like, you know, how do we deal with that vulnerability? And I gave her like a really kind of hardcore existential answer, like, you don't want to live a false life, do you? I mean, <laughs> um, and uh, I don't take that back. Um, and I think, but it's, it's definitely not the only way of approaching that question. Um, I think there is a lot of truth to, you know, um, the importance for a lot of people, I won't say everybody, because I think actually like certain generalizations about how everyone experiences practice are not really useful. Um, But um, I think this idea of hitting bottom, feeling like, you know, practice brings up hard stuff, doesn't actually make me necessarily feel good or comfortable but i know what it feels like to be cut off from life and others and even myself you know and i just don't want that anymore like so that's not life and this other thing is scary practice is scary um but i know that i don't have any other place to go and i think a lot of people are motivated by something like that, or it can be a part of their motivation. It can be a very powerful um, motivator, especially because I think the fewer exits you feel you have access to, the easier it is to stay in the hard places that practice brings you to. Um, But I also wanna say that it's not just like, oh my God, I have no other choice. You know, I think there is something to be said for an aspiration of being drawn to something you feel is deeply part of you that you feel is obscured, that you want to feel a sense of connectedness and presence and love and awareness. That for some reason, even though maybe you don't have a lot of reasons to put faith in it, you trust is a part of your true nature and you want to live from that place. So a more positive drawnness and aspiration to what practice you feel will give you. I think actually, you know, I think maybe the truth is we all have a little bit of both or, and maybe it's in different, there's different mixtures of these things, a positive pull, an aspirational pull to our true natures and the love and connectedness that we feel is there. Maybe we've had glimpses of it, Um, and we want more of it. Um, And then also the pain that we know lies the way of living in our kind of cocooned, turtled up way. So anyway, there are those two things. I think I wanted to make sure I gave time to the aspirational positive side, all right? that that's imp- important and i think as practice continues and deepens and you get more and more tastes of that connectedness and awareness and love and presence and what that is like and how it can transform not only your relationship to yourself to uh, but to others and your work and everything that becomes i think the primary um, fuel for practice it's nothing else can compare you know Um, So I think that's something worth talking more about some later time, but I just want to put that out there because I don't know, it's my existentialist training that gets sort of hardcore sometimes and I want to pull back a little bit on that. So, um, But the other thing that I want to spend a little bit more time on is the vulnerability and the turtling up. And um, I think what's so interesting, so as I said, like, yes, I totally relate to that feeling. What's so interesting about that metaphor, all these different kinds of metaphors that we can use um, to to evoke that feeling that Sylvia was getting at, um, you know, this feeling of like rawness, vulnerability, right? Um, Fear, exposure, all of that. Um, what's so interesting I realized after last Tuesday's class was over is how easy it is to imagine that what is being exposed or being newly made vulnerable is some deeper, truer self that is in us. Like I have this shell that I've excreted, constructed, right? To protect me. And the me that I'm protecting is actually like, a deeper, truer version of myself, which is like tender, soft, and inside. But what this practice ultimately shows us is that there's no deeper core self lying behind that excreted shell, This is not about discovering your true self. It's not about finding your inner you. It's about seeing how all of you, all of me, all of us, is just this ongoing construct that is formed, unformed, congealed, softened moment by moment. It's so easy and natural, I think given our culture, but also just given the way humans like to think about themselves, to imagine that what we're doing is getting in touch with a deeper, truer version of ourselves. But when Buddhists talk about the true self, they're not talking about a deep core ego. They're talking about that awareness that is able to just be with the passing show. And I think this is something so easy to forget and important to remind ourselves over and over again. Because something very, very deep in us would like to use everything and anything we can to solidify the sense that there is some the persistent self in us. And it would love to even use a Buddhist practice to do that. But that is actually contrary to the very core of what Buddhism says and teaches us about the self. But then this is not the end of the discussion, but actually just the beginning. Because as soon as you put it that way, then the vulnerability itself Becomes super interesting. Because if the vulnerability isn't protecting some soft fleshed, you know, tender little thing that's the true you inside, what is it doing? How to understand that vulnerability, right? So the vulnerability, or I think different things can come up. And that's why I actually asked you guys to tend to when you feel open even a moment of openness. Does anyone feel a little bit of like, oh, full little anxiety popping up, right? Um, it's very common. It is incredibly common after very, very deep open sittings where you feel super quiet afterwards to feel like everything just gets so much tighter suddenly. Like it's almost like a recoil as the self softens and opens and you can see almost through its constituent parts, you can see it arrayed. And you're like, oh, there's this thought, there's that thought, like, and just see them passing by or whatever it is that it feels like to you. And then after that sitting, suddenly it's like kind of like, because the self feels so terrified of that sudden openness, and it wants to re-consolidate its sense of solidity, and that will be experienced as open as as anxiety, or fear, or something like that. So the vulnerability. That um. That I so instead no longer trying to you know, I'm not trying to put words into Sylvia. I just thought Sylvia's question brought up so many deep things. So, but I think. One way of understanding the kind of vulnerability that Silvio, I think, was gesturing towards is the kind of recoil that can happen, not because something has been exposed, because the softening wants to tighten up again, right? Um, it is, the self isn't beneath the vulnerability. That sense of vulnerability or fragility or anxiety or exposure is what the self is like at that time and is trying its best to keep its grip. Um, so how to be with it. This immediately turn, moves us into like, how do you practice with it? So, cause it can't just be about let's tolerate it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, feels really awful to be like scared and anxious and, and, and just like suck it up. No, no. This is where the being with practice is so crucial. Like what is the vulnerability? If the vulnerability isn't actually protecting something deeper than it, but itself, the form ego has taken as it starts to feel uncertain of its grip on you, then really becoming intimate with how that vulnerability feels, what is it? as the koan says, that Ezra was quoting. What is it? What is that? Where, is it, where do you feel it in the belly, in the chest? How does it move through the body? What kinds of thoughts come up when you feel that kind of anxiety that comes from the groundlessness of feeling the spaciousness of awareness? What does it feel like? What you can start to sense is how the vulnerability itself has a lot of space in it. It Is not nearly this kind of scary field of emotion that you thought it was, but itself just like, oh, tension here, quivering sensation here, thought of, I gotta stop, or I can't take more of this, or I really wanna go, it's some ice cream or whatever it may be. You know, it could be like pulled towards distraction or a, a voice of aversion out of fear or just like intense distraction. Like I cannot keep my mind still suddenly, even though like my sitting was going amazing until now, right? Resistance will take all different forms. The point is not to know what to expect, but to be open to whatever it feels like in that moment and to see vulnerability itself, not as simply the exposure of tenderness, but as a form the ego will take in order to avert deeper inquiry. It still needs to be done super gently because you push hard at it, then what you're doing is you're actually solidifying the vulnerability as an enemy, as an obstacle. This is being with the vulnerability, completely openly, tenderly, with kindness. This is not seeing vulnerability as a puzzle to decode and get through, you know, that's not, I mean, I can imagine someone interpreting what I've been saying in that way, but rather just super curiously, with care, softness, being with the vulnerability as intimately as possible getting as high resolution of you of what it is and then as i said last time what can happen is the vulnerability just completely reveals another aspect and i don't think i need to say that much about that now when you get there you'll see it's like It's like a just gestalt switch can happen. Or like you can, something that seemed solid and so real suddenly becomes just like dispersed, you and know, just like air. Um, but vulnerability is not a problem, but the gateway to that. And the same goes for other kinds of feelings that can function this way. For some people it's not vulnerability, it's intense loneliness feeling so alone. The key is not to move away from that or find a way to move beyond it, but actually to move into it and be with it. Same goes for fear, same goes for radical disorientation. Like, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I don't know what I'm supposed to do when I'm sitting. Having no sense of direction. The ego, we'll have all these different ways of kind of like keeping a last hold on its sense of solidity. That's why I like these images of like solidifying, softening, constricting, opening. Often that's how you experience these states which feel emotional, but are really about the ego just trying to stay solid in some way. Um, Okay, I'm gonna pause here. That's, That's actually maybe even more than enough for one night. So are there any questions or thoughts in response to any of this?
1: Yeah, Bernie, I had had a thought. Um, That very idea of thinking that there's something that you need to mine deeper for and arrive at this idea of um, that there's a direction you need to set forth and we're so acculturated to thinking of going deeper, mining deeper. And I was really struck by uh, what you said today that that can I don't know, that can be kind of a false direction of sorts, or the idea to think that you have to go in some direction and that's usually down deeper. Um, so I was trying to think of like metaphors that, or images that avoid that, like the cloudy bucket of water and waiting for it to settle. Um, doesn't really speak to going in any particular direction, but just kind of remaining present and being with until the noise or the dust or the cloudy water settles. But I just wanted to thank you for that, um, that idea. And I was also curious about images that um, sort of sort of counter that, that notion that there's something underneath or, or deeper that you have to strive for. So I think that creates, for me anyway, that creates some tension.
0: I mean, the image and the sort of the the metaphoric system is partly what helps constitute the very thing that it's imagining, right? And so it creates a certain form of, um, sort of certain relationship we have to ourselves and our histories and also, um, yeah, to our, to our sense of what it is that is to be done, right? Um, and and that there is something to be done when actually there isn't anything to be done. And this is the key thing. Like, I think, you know, I think one of the things that people who practice a long time have to come to terms with is the ways in which we actually like to suffer. We actually, like we are attached to, um, the stirring up the pot you know the, the 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 bucket of water um when we have sometimes when we are are, are residing in stillness we, we will actually see ourselves do something to stir it up to create drama right um because there is something deeply unnerving about that quiet and that openness um, and this is where I think I love. That's why I love Chogyam Trungpa's image, right? Of enlightenment. Enlightenment is like falling out of an airplane with a, um, without a parachute, right? The bad news is that you know, you know, what is it? The bad news you don't have a parachute, but the good news is there's no ground. That's a really unsettling feeling until you can become at home in it, and then it, there is no freer feeling. That's why this practice can't be rushed. Um, Thank you, Jim. All that was, yeah. And I also actually, I think what you just said, it gives me an occasion to revisit another thing I said last time, which I didn't have regrets about, but I just said, you know, it's funny. It's like, you just, I speak off the cuff, so it's like always imperfect. Everyone should just take everything I say. It's, it's just like completely, only partially correct and many grains of salt anyway. so. um but it was this thing about a lot of these deep ego structures being formed, defense structures being formed in childhood, right? Um, and I talked to my, my, my own hypervigilance um, and the safety I did not feel in my, in the, my the house I grew up in. I think one could imagine easily hearing that then therefore part of the project is excavating to use the image, all that stuff. But actually all the stuff you need to work through that is in the present, it's in your body right now. The sensations you feel in your belly, the tightness in your throat, and the thoughts that are in your head right now. No need to go anywhere. No need to think about the past. Any thoughts that are relevant and necessary will come up, and anything else, not important. Not at least now. So, um, so yeah. Any, it's like there is a past, there's a future, but all we all we have right now is this moment, right? And everything we need is in this moment, which is the beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you. Just in thinking about imagery, which Jim brought up um, something when you were describing uh, Bernie being like, there is no way to go deeper. um, An image that I often use when I, or that I try to use when I meditate is thinking of myself as like um, a sea sponge or like a, a sea cucumber imagining only because it helps me in that. I feel like their insides are when you're describing it, it made sense. Why it calms me is that their insides in my mind are also in their outsides and they Mm. don't. And so there is no like experience underneath, even though that is maybe a, um, maybe like a dehumanizing way to think about a sea cucumber, but I think about them with like the same life aliveness as I have, and as also being like in and out at the same time. That's wonderful. Yeah. I also want to say, like, as long as we have a light touch, any metaphor is fine, you know, even using depth metaphors, right? Like, I don't think we need to get hung up on metaphoric purity either. It's like, um, it's like, as long as we um, um, sort of know we're using it in it, like, there's so many beautiful poems, right? Written, like novels written with depth as the primary image. And and I think we can appreciate them at that level. And then say, but you know, there are also issues with thinking of it that way, too. (laughs) Thinking of like diving into the wreck, I, I sort of I love that one, right? Yeah. As are there issues with thinking that you're a sea cucumber? <laughs> and cucumbers might take offense to being compared to humans, yeah. right? <laughs> <So. clears throat> well, maybe this is good for tonight. I mean, because I, this is really like an ongoing conversation, right? We we like so no need to. Um, Could we sit for two, three minutes before we call it a night? I went on so long last week, we didn't have time to do that and I always feel bad when we don't. So if you have to go, please go, it's good to see you. But if you can sit for two, three minutes um, as a way of saying goodnight, that would be wonderful. And for this final thing, for those of you who haven't, um, are new, I don't do any guidance, just um, please do whatever feels good to you for a couple of minutes. All right, wonderful to see you all. Really, really, really wonderful. Um, I will post a copy of Letting Be on the Williamstown Zen Group website, along with actually a text by Tony Packer, uh, called uh, um, Something About Afraid of Silence or uh, Um, which speaks to this kind of anxiety we can feel when suddenly we feel quite deeply quiet. You know, like what can what sometimes comes up that makes us feel like it's hard settling in that in that openness so i'll post those two along with the audio after right after class okay take care everyone see you all next week goodbye